Hello, and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. So as we, uh, as we dive into the Word of God today, we are in a series called We Believe. And uh, this, this term, we believe, speaks of the, the foundational truths that we, as the, the body of Christ, that we, especially as, uh, as Wesleyan, uh, believe and, and, and lean into. You know, the, the, the idea we believe can be very divisive. Uh, because I believe something, and so I post it on Facebook, right? And then comments start happening, and we, uh, we get pretty, pretty far off of what I believe, and it becomes uh, how I disagree with you, right? Um, we, we put out a statement of what we believe, and then uh, it quickly becomes a battle. It quickly becomes something that divides us as opposed to unites us. The idea of we believe as Christians, as followers of Christ, is meant to be something that unites us together and unites us in a, in a common direction. You know, I, believe, I truly believe that, uh, that we as the church uh, though we have many different denominations, many different uh, understandings of theology, that we can be on the same team, that, and we should be on the same team. As we, as we lean into what we believe, we are called to major on the majors and minor on the minors. Right? There are things that, if we get into the weeds on these things, um, that we can, we can begin to divide and separate and fracture over things that really aren't that significant for us as we move forward in our faith. But as we, as we lean into the majors, these are the things that, um, that are essential to how we live out our walk with Christ. And so today, uh, we are diving into the Word of God. What do we believe about the Word of God and the authority of Scripture and I think this has a profound impact on how we live out our faith walk as followers of Christ. Let's pray. God, be with, with us as we hear the word of God. God, would you speak to us in and through this, this beautiful book? And God, would it mold and shape and influence our lives? God, would you speak this morning and translate these words from my mouth into the hearts of your people? God, we give you thanks for this day and for all days. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. The, the Bible is, um, is the most impactful book on culture and history since the beginning of man t- mankind. Uh, we, there's really no argue to that because uh, it has is, it is shaped law, it has shaped uh, the way that cultures live out their, uh, their foundational beliefs, it has changed morality, it is the most influential book in the history of mankind. It is the number one selling book on all charts, all throughout the world. Even if you take out the Gideon's Bibles that are in every drawer in the, in the hotels, right? Uh, consequently, it is also, the, I found a, an interesting fact, it is also the number one stolen book in the history of man. Uh, which, is, which is really fascinating. Uh, there's got to be some kind of like clause in the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal unless it is the word of God, right? There's got to be some kind of grace for, uh, for stealing the word of God as long as it is uh, meant for, uh, for good purpose, right? At the same, on the same, in the same token, 
I truly believe that this book is probably the most unread book on many bookshelves across America. You see, the Bible is different to, very, to every person who picks it up. To me, uh, the Bible has great significance. Um, I found out recently that my great, great uncle, uh, who was a Catholic priest, uh, uh, loved the Bible so much that he, does, he wanted to translate uh, the Bible into uh, a vernacular that his, his people, his congregation, his, uh, his, um, his generation could understand. And so uh, an approved New Testament Bible in the Catholic Church is the Kleiston Lily Bible. And Lily is my great, great uncle. Um, which is a, it, it speaks of the heritage of the word of God. Church, the Bible is meant to be passed down from generation to generation. The word of God is the truth that is meant to be carried all the way back from the Israelite people. We can, we can follow and trace this truth all the way to us. It is profoundly cross-cultural. It is profoundly uh, outside of time and space. It is for us. You know, the Bible is, uh, is so unique in its structure. It's so unique uh, as, a, as a book that it is, uh, it's known as, as the most interesting literature in the history of man. You know, the diversity of the text from from creation story to prophecy to, to poetry to, 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 pose, to prose, it is um, very fascinating. It's, a, it's more of a library than it is a book. It's, it's compiled by 66 different books inside of this library with different genres, speaking different things. It is written by over 40 authors written over a 1,500-year time span from the, from the first ink of Revelation uh, to, or from the first ink to, of Genesis to, to Revelation. 1,500 years. Spanning over three different continents, written in three different continents, using three different languages. And, and uh, unbeknownst to me, none of these authors had a Zoom meeting to figure out the direction in which they were going to go with the storyline. Yet, yet, remarkably so, the story is so unified from beginning to end. It has this scarlet thread throughout it that speaks of Jesus even back at Genesis. And it speaks of his his saving work that is to come to redeem his people all throughout scripture, ending in the gospels where he, he dies for our sins. It is this beautiful message. And each of those 40 authors experienced this God in a unique way, in their unique circumstance, in a profound way that, that they wrote about it in a unified manner. I wonder why that is. Maybe, just maybe, it's because it wasn't just a made-up God that they were worshiping, but it was, a, it was a, the one true God who was present. The author of, uh, of 1 Timothy, Paul, writing a letter to Timothy, he writes this about the word of God. 
In 2 Timothy chapter three, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have, uh, have come, become convinced of because you know that those from whom you have learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make, wise, make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, the, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love this word, God-breathed. In other translations, we see that it is, it is inspired by God. But I love, I love in the Greek, uh, the way that this, this word is broken down is the two root words in this God-breathed is, uh, is theo, which is God, and pneuma, which is spirit. And uh, first century readers uh, would have been hearkened back to, uh, to the Old Testament, back to, uh, to the Hebrew, where they would see the, the breath of God breathed into, the, into, the, into mankind at Genesis they would see Adam formed from the dust and then God breathes his ruach, his breath into mankind and man becomes alive. And man becomes alive. The Bible is the breath of God. In, in Ezekiel, as, as Ryan read, uh, Ezekiel gets this vision of of the valley of dry bones, which is representative of Israel and Israel's dead faith and how they've walked away from God and, and his commandments. And, and they, they are lying in the, in the valley, dead and broken. And he says, prophesy to these bones and they, they come together and they form an army. And he says, breathe, prophesy to them and breathe my breath into them. And they will go from dead to alive. Church, as we, as we open up the word of God, this is not just words on a page that were written by dead people in a dead time, in a place, place that doesn't, doesn't relate to us. When we open up the word of God, it is, we should feel the breath of God breathing into our lungs and bringing us to life. This word of God is life. It is the very breath of God as the Holy Spirit uses these words to speak into our hearts. We ought to be made alive by the word of God because the Bible is God's breath for us. The Hebrew writer writes it like this. In Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, he says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Hear that church. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight and everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes. Church, as we live into the word of God, as we open up the word of God, we must understand that the word of God is alive and active. What this means for us is that when we read, when we read the word of God, it becomes, uh, it becomes like a device that severs, our, that opens us up and lays us bare. It convicts those thoughts and the attitudes of our heart Notice the, the, the two words that he uses there. Uh, 
those are the two things that people can't see from the outside. Right? They don't know your intentions. They don't know your thoughts. They don't know the attitude of your heart when you speak and when you do things, but the Holy Spirit does. And so when we open up the Holy Spirit, it's, it's like a mirror into our soul that convicts us of, of the brokenness inside of us and it brings us back to a wholeness. It brings us back to life. The word of God ought to be transformative. We ought to approach it in that manner. Where we get in trouble with this idea that the word of God is alive is that we, um, we think that alive means changing in the church. We believe that, we think that when, when the, the word of God is alive, just like my kids are alive and they, they change from age five to age 15, right? And so we think that, that for the word of God to be alive, it must change throughout time. But church, the word of, we must understand that the word of God was not written for our time and for our culture. It was written to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific culture. And those truths that, that they, those truths about God and those, those principles that are taught in scripture are very much for us and for our time. But the original authors were not, didn't have us in mind as they wrote. And so as we read through scripture, we understand that, that it was not written for and to our time and culture, but it speaks of universal truths that, are specific, that can be translated to our, our time, can be translated to our culture to speak profoundly into our situation. This is the alive and active word of God that speaks into our lives. You know, oftentimes we, when we look at the truth of scripture, um, we, we find our truth in a lot of different places, don't we, church? We find our truth a lot of times on, on social media. And we open up our news feed uh, and we look at the news and we see, and they, they, they tell us it's the cold, hard facts, right? They tell us it's the truth. And then we open up our, our social media page and we read through and people post articles and they are the truth, we take them as truth and we find our truth in those things. But the reality is, is oftentimes the truth that is told to us through those mediums is the truth that we want to hear. You see, uh, uh, some friends and I were, uh, were talking the other day, it was a while back, and, um, and we, were, we got to talking about uh, Dwight Schrute from the, the office. And uh, it, just because that's what you do in, in the youth ministry offices. Um, and so we got to talk about Dwight Schrute and, uh, and beet farming came up and we were like, I don't even know what beets taste like, you know? And, uh, and somebody was like, uh, I think it, I mean, I've had them, but they're pretty much taste like dirt. Like just, it's just like red dirt, you know? Um, and so we went away from the conversation like that. That was, that was weird. Okay, cool. Uh, we came back the next day and had the same story, right? Um, we came back the, the next day and we, we had all seen on our Facebook feeds no, uh, these articles for, you know, 101 ways to cook beets, you know? Uh, we had seen on our, our, our Facebook page uh, the best ways to, to start your new years with a, with a juice cleanse. Uh, drink beets, right? Or listen to the music for the first time with Dr. Dre's beets, right? You see, our social media... It caters to the truth that we want to hear. 
You see, it it hears our lives, it hears our stories. If you click on something on social media, it's gonna send you an article just like that because it wants you to interact. And so it will curate the truth that you desire to hear. Church, are we being discipled by something that tells you exactly what you want to hear? Or are we being discipled by the truth that we need to hear? Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUMC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. scripture, it is alive and active. And when we see something that we we don't like or see something that doesn't quite align with what we think or what we feel, that kind of rubs us the wrong way, we can't just take it and throw it away. We are called to dig a little bit deeper because maybe that's revealing a truth that, that the world has told you is truth, but is actually a lie. We are called to wrestle with the things in scripture that don't feel quite right. And that's sometimes a hard process. And I encourage you to to do that in community, to find a small group, to begin to have conversation about what you're reading in scripture. How has the word of God become alive to you? And to process that together. The psalmist knew that the word of God was a great teacher In Psalm 119, I would just encourage you to go and read that. It's a beautiful psalm, a beautiful poem of the psalmist talking to God about his relationship with the word of God, with the law of God. In Psalm 119, starting in verse 102, he says this, I have not departed from your laws for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path for your word is a lamp into my feet. It is a light into my path. I love this imagery of a lamp into my feet, a light into my path because the word of God is a guide for us. The third thing that we understand about scripture is that the word of God is a a relational guide to us. It's not just a map, but it is a relational map is a relational guide to the way that we live out our lives. Um, this imagery of a lamp is, is beautiful because the, the lamps that they had were not these 100,000 uh, 100, lumen lights that like light up the, the entire world, right? I saw an ad on Facebook uh, for this lamp, this like this powerful uh, spotlight that just like illuminated everything for miles and miles. I think if I had one of those, I could see Jesus coming, right? Uh, but what, what the lamp does is it's, it's, a, it's a small light that illuminates maybe a few feet around you, but not much more than that in, in pure darkness. And so this, this lamp light is not meant to give you uh, wisdom and guidance. It's not meant to tell you where you're gonna be in five years. It's not meant to, uh, to show you the whole path for your life. Oftentimes we want scripture, we want our faith, we want God to do that for us. 
But the psalmist understood that this, the word of God is, is a lamp into my feet, a light into my path, that it, that it shows me just the next step. It illuminates the place in which I'm about to step and, and warns me of the dangers that are to the left and to the right. And it, it, it leads me down the right path, but we ultimately have to choose it. I think the thing that's so distinct to me, uh, as I was talking to, to Scott Chairs afterwards, uh, he kind of brought this back up and, um, and he, said, he said, the thing that got me was the fact that um, that, that light being dim, that it being so, so important for just the next step is that you have to lean in to dependence. You have to lean in to depend on that light for each and every step. Church, I think... I believe that we are called as the body of Christ to depend on the word of God for our next steps, to depend on the word of God as we walk throughout this journey, not to know all of the steps ahead, but to to trust and depend on God's next step for our lives. You see, it's more, but it's more than just like a moral map for where we ought to go. The psalmist uh, speaks of this, of the word of God like honey on his lips that it is so good for him. It's like an intimacy with the word of God. It is so good that he can taste it. See, honey was the main sweetener. It was a, uh, an incredible, valuable uh, uh, commodity in their culture. In the tropical court cultures, uh, they, have these, they have sugar cane, but in, in these, the arid temperatures and the arid culture of Israel, uh, what they have as a sweetener is honey. And so this idea that, that the word of God is almost like, almost like a, an ice cream sundae coming to a toddler, right? That they look at it and they're like, oh my gosh, I have to have that. That is so good. There's an intimacy with the word of God, even though, even though the word of God disciplines me, even though the word of God corrects me, even though the word of God challenges me, it is so good to me. You see, the word of God is meant to draw us nearer to the heart of God. I ask you, church, what is your relationship with the word of God? I realize for some of you, um, your relationship with the word of God is colored that your relationship with the word of God, um, maybe you've been hurt by the word of God, by the way that someone used the word of God to bring shame into your life. Maybe you've been hurt by the word of God, by, uh, by someone just using the word of God to bring guilt, to tell you how wrong you are, to divide relationships. Over time and, and over cultures, the word of God has been used in some, some oppressive ways to keep down a people or to, to inf- reinforce a hierarchy of the, that puts one group above another. And in church, I wanna say I'm sorry for the ways that we've misused the word of God, for the ways that we've oppressed people, for the ways that we've, we've, we've lessened people using these scriptures. That is not how they were meant to be used. The word of God is not about condemnation. The word of God is about save, salvation. John 3, 17 says, for for God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Now, sometimes that means, 
Sometimes that means that as we draw nearer to the heart of God, that that God's gonna do surgery on us. That God's gonna open us up and remove the sin, the cancer that's in our lives that is killing us. And that may be painful. That may hurt for a season, but it is so good. Like honey on my lips. The fourth thing that I, that I want us to grab from this, and this is where I'll, I'll close, is the word of God is truth. Church, our relationship with the word of God must be intentionally passed down from generation to generation. All the way back to the Israelites, the word of God has been passed down from generation to generation to be a constant marker for what is right. There's a chilling line at the end of the book of Judges that says, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it led to the destruction of cultures. Church, we live in a time where Uh, cultural relativism, where everybody's just, my truth is my truth, that I'm gonna do what I wanna do. Don't mess with my truth. You do you, I'll do me, and we'll just do what's right in our own eyes. But church, we are called to pass down from generation to generation the truth of scripture, the truth of who God is, the truth of who God is calling us to be, the truth of the path that God is leading us on. And if it is not passed down intentionally, then it will be lost. One of my favorite gifts, um, these are two of my favorite gifts that I've been given in my life. Um, This gift uh, was given to me a few years ago. And it's a Bible that is uh, from my namesake. His name is Clinton Kimball. My name is Clinton Kimball Wiley. And in this book, uh, in this Bible, uh, it was... It was given to him in Christmas of 1883. My great, great, great grandfather. And in the margins are handwritten notes, are underlined passages of scripture that speak to the ways that God was speaking to him in his life years and years and years ago. Passed down from generation to generation is the faith of a man through the truth of scripture. One of my favorite stories in in scripture is uh, in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings, and I'm gonna close with this. In 2 Kings 22, uh, we see a story of uh, a man named Josiah. And Josiah became a king at the age of like eight, like super young, he like inherited the throne. Can you imagine any eight-year-olds in here? No, I think they all went back, right? Uh, but can you imagine being a king at eight years old, right? Uh, but he was, he, was, he was the king at eight years old and his dad, uh, King Manasseh, was like one of the, the nastiest, baddest dudes, right? He was, he was known as one of the most evil kings and he had corrupted the nation and, and he had built altars and temples all over town to worship these other gods and, and he had left to waste the temple of God. And Josiah, uh, in his young, young years, he, he was like, you know, what is that temple over there? What is that temple that's being laid to waste? What is that? Let's, let's pursue that. And so he sent somebody up to, to clean it up and to, to look into it. And they pulled out these scrolls. 
the scrolls of the law of God, and, and they brought it to, to Josiah to read. And the scribe read these scrolls to Josiah, and they were the words of God. They were the law of God that had been lost for generations. And as he heard the words of God, they became alive. And the breath of God breathed into his heart, and it transformed him. And he tore his cloak and he tore, he went into mourning for all of the time that they had lost in the presence of God. And he made radical changes across, across the, the, the nation. He, he tore down temples and he, lit, he built up more temples to, to God, to worship and to serve God. You see, church, the word of God is alive and active it desires to bring revival into our hearts and into our souls. Church, if we want to see revival in our nation, if we want to see revival in our church, it has to start in our own hearts. And it's going to come from our devotion and dedication to the words of God, to the love letter of God, to the truths of scripture as we follow the ways of God. So church, as we engage uh, back in communion today, uh, I think it's beautiful that we, we end our service today in communion because Josiah, um, to, to inaugurate this new covenant with God, this, this re, renewed covenant with, with, with God, he, uh, he ended his time he ended uh, the passage with uh, reading the Passover. And he read of the Passover meal. And, and as he read of the Passover meal, he was broken to realize that, that this commandment that God had given to, to, to keep the Passover, that it hadn't been followed for, year, for years, for generations. And so to initiate the new covenant between God and his people, he broke bread with his with his. His, his people. He took of these common elements and he gave thanks for God. And so church, as we come to the table today, we renew our covenant with God. We renew our covenant with the words of God, with the truth of scripture that is alive and active in our hearts and in our lives. So on the night that Jesus gave himself up for us, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. So ch church today, as we renew our covenant with the word of God, as we renew our covenant with, with the God who is alive and speaking and active in our lives, would we remember the sacrifice that Christ made for us? Would we remember his goodness would we remember his love and his grace and his mercy for us? 
So Holy Spirit, would you pour out your presence on this place? Would you take these common elements of bread and cup, would you make them for us the body and the blood of Christ so that we might be redeemed by your blood, we might be unified in your blood, might be unified in your sacrifice so that we might be together one so we might go into the world and be the hands and feet of Christ. God, we offer ourselves to you in in this time in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Church, this is not a United Methodist table. We believe that, that anybody can take of communion as long as you consider seriously the call of Christ. So there'll be two stations up here in the front and then two stations all the way at the back. If you're in the back section, we'd ask that you, uh, you start from the back rows and go towards the back. If you're in this front section, you can come from the front. But I encourage you just to take a moment. Uh, take some time to be with God and to renew your covenant, your personal covenant with God in this time. We take the, the, uh, the intention kind of, uh, but it's like these little cups. So you'll be given, uh, you'll receive the bread of life and you'll receive the blood of Christ and take and eat. So come, the table has been set. If you need gluten-free elements, those are available too up at the front and I believe in the back, or just in the front. Come, the table is set.